This is exactly right. Welcome to the Parent Footprint Podcast with Dr. Dan. I am Dr. Dan, your host, and you are listening to the Parent Footprint Podcast, where our mission is to make the world a more loving and compassionate place, one parent and one child at a time. We believe firmly that the key to raising happy, healthy, and engaged kids is for us parents to work on our own happiness, health, engagement, and of course, awareness. We believe awareness is the foundation of your personal vision of successful parenting, whatever that might be. And with increased awareness and intention, we can bring purpose, we can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint on our children and our grandchildren. Today, we have a very provocative and wonderful topic. We are talking about talking to your kids about sex, porn, and healthy relationships. Please meet our distinguished guest, Natasha Singh. Natasha's worked in education for the past 20 years and taught at Rutgers University, Collegiate School for Boys, and the Branson School before she left academic institutions to offer the kind of teaching she most wanted to offer, the kind that can promote healthy relationships, prevent sexual assault, and sexual harassment. She currently co-chairs the board of Center for Domestic Peace, an organization dedicated to ending domestic violence in Marin and beyond. She also serves as advisor to Freedom Forward, which seeks to end commercial sexual exploitation in the Bay Area, and runs ASHA Rising, a small nonprofit that provides housing for women who have aged out of the sex industry in India. She's also an advisor to the Gaines Jones Education Foundation, which creates educational opportunities for African-American youth. Natasha speaks widely on sexual literacy, consent, and ending gender-based violence. Natasha, welcome to the show this morning. Thank you. It's great to be here. You are making a difference in the world. You're doing a lot of very important things. <laughs> Thanks a lot. You don't lot. know how to respond to that, right? Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> and, and of course, uh, this topic is continues to be uh, front and center, not only in the news, but also mm-hmm. in schools around the country, around the world. And um, I guess if we can look at a positive on a lot of negativity, um, there is a lot of exposure and conversation now about the issues of sexual violence and exploitation. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it is front and center. It's uh, definitely in the air. That's for sure. So this, so I'm also a parent of three teenagers and, uh, you know, when I take off my professional hat, the whole idea of talking to kids about sex, healthy relationships, you know, it could be a little uncomfortable, but then especially the whole issue of porn, which is a very important issue. How do you suggest people, you know, what are your thoughts about how do you start this process? How do you think about this as a parent? Well, I'll tell you, um, I know sometimes when I've, when I talk to parents and, you know, offer parent ED nights or whatever, and talk about the subject, um, this, when I first started doing this, um, some years ago, parents might have assumed that the first thing to do is to run home and immediately ask their child, have you seen porn on the computer or have you looked at pornography? That is not what I would advise. I think what's super important to remember is that 
if parents can begin scaffolding um, or begin building up to talking about this, that's the, that's the right approach. So if parents have already established a vocabulary and trust and safety with regard to talking about sex and sexuality, then it makes sense to talk about pornography. Because if, if a parent were to start with something like, you know, I'm concerned that you're watching pornography because it, it doesn't model consent, but you've never talked about consent with your child before. There's no way to really contextualize the conversation. So I would say it's, uh, it really is about building towards that and including that as part of the ongoing conversation about sex and sexuality that hopefully will last um, throughout a child's life. So how how early do you suggest parents talk about this when you're you're talking about developing a language, a vocabulary, uh, a conversation? It's a great question. I'm going to give an answer that is not rooted in an emotional sensibility because I think that in this country in particular, so much of our discourse around sex education is can be really emotional and and polarizing. And I think what I like to do is to look at sexual health outcomes. So really look at it from a data-based perspective. And mm-hmm. um, I look to the Netherlands or Sweden, which have some of the best sexual health co- outcomes in the world. And the U.S. does not. And of ranking developing countries, the U.S. The US has the worst rate of teen pregnancy, the highest rates of teen pregnancy, and some of the highest levels of STIs amongst teens and adolescents. And so we're not doing such a great job. Um, And when we look at Dutch youth and adolescents, um, their sexual health outcomes are a million times better than ours. And they start their sexuality education at age four. And what that means, yes. And what that means, um, it, well, I'll tell you what it doesn't mean, because when I say that to people, sometimes their assumption is that they probably visualize, you know, a horrific sort of a situation where, where a parent is, you know, talking about reproduction and sex. It's probably way beyond a, a four-year-old's mind. With that being said, what, what, what sexuality education does, is, for instance, it starts naming body parts, right? And it's very frank. And so I think talking to kids about body parts is a great place to start at age four and to start helping kids name what those body parts are, um, to talk about love and feelings, um, mm-hmm. to talk about the different ways you can like somebody or be a friend, uh, those kinds of things. Um, so I think having those conversations early are very important. And I would also recommend resisting against the impulse to what I call cutify body parts. Because we tend to say, oh, you know, let's not touch down there, or we have funny little names for body parts. I don't think we need to do that. And I don't think it helps children in their development. Um, Because if they don't have a language and a direct language with which to name and know their body, it's, it'll be very difficult for them to navigate, let's just say if someone violates their body, um, mm-hmm. and to, to be able to have the language for it. So it's really a way to protect kids as well. So uh, speaking about names for uh, body parts, and mm-hmm. I, um, I think everyone knows what you're talking about. Um, the first thing that comes to my mind is what a lot of people use is, um, um, those are your privates. So is that what do you feel about that? Because I think people are talking about those are private uh, in a non-shaming way as uh, the trying to get to the point of 
those are private and other people aren't supposed to touch them without your permission, of course, when you get older. Well, I don't think that that language is consistent with the world that kids are living in because we're living in a very hypersexualized culture and there's nothing private about people's bodies. True. Um, and, True. and so we end up, you know, planting a very contradictory message without meaning to as educators and parents. So I think it's much better and much more consistent with the culture in which we live to say, this is what it is. Um, and then have other kinds of separate conversations about what constitutes privacy and what doesn't. So early on, uh, so this is how we build the conversation. We talk openly about biological body parts, but you also talked about um, the ideas of love and I'm guessing relationship. Yeah, I think it's, I think kids do develop strong feelings and have feelings, obviously, from when they're very young. And I think it's important to begin naming what those feelings are and to help kids distinguish between the kinds of feelings that they might have. Um, for instance, what does a crush look like? What is it? What is it like when a child just wants to be a friend with somebody versus they, they might have romantic kinds of feelings towards them? Um, so I think being able to really talk about relationships are so mm -hmm. important because look at us now. I mean, in this country where we're, where we're dealing with now, is we have so much trouble talking about relationships and, and talking within our relationships. So that's, that's a great thing to emphasize at a, from a really young age. Well, and since we're taking this developmentally and we'll work our way up to the complexity mm -hmm. of uh, adolescence, what do you recommend parents say to their younger kids to maybe replace what has been said for many years, which is it's not okay for people to touch you, you know, in your, I guess it was private areas or name, name the, uh, more explicitly name the, um, body part. But is that, you know, with little kids, what, what do we say when we're putting our kids in daycare and kids are going to summer camp, you know, at, at young ages? I think it's very important to introduce the concept of bodily autonomy and to say to a child and to help, again, this will, it may take time to have kids understand this over time, but to say that your body belongs to you. And that means that, that you get to say, or nobody gets to touch your body in a way that, that, uh, nobody gets to touch your body uh, and nobody gets to touch your vagina or your penis. And you can say that that's inappropriate. And if anything like that happens, I want you to tell me immediately, right? But to begin talking about bodily autonomy is very important because, and, and I think it's important also to, again, work on keeping our messages consistent. Because when I usually bring up the issue of bodily autonomy with younger people, we can't help, I, you know, we end up I know I take note of the fact that most kids from a very, very young age are warned about stranger danger. So if you take mm -hmm. any room full of children and say, how many of you have been warned about strangers touching you? They'll, most of them will raise their hands and say, oh, yes. And I'll say, well, you know, the truth of it is, is that it's most of the time what we have to worry about with regard to violations of bodily autonomy, those things happen with people we know right? With teachers, coaches, neighbors, friends, family members sometimes. And so we, we want to make sure that we let kids know that they get to direct what happens with their bodies. Um, and we also want to really encourage them to trust their instincts. And we in this culture tend to really focus on etiquette, right? We, don't we often push kids to hug their 
you know, aunt so and so, their uncle so and so, even even if when they don't, they don't want, want to. to, right? Exactly, yeah. right. And so it's it's just starting with those simple things. If a child doesn't want to hug somebody, they don't have to, mm-hmm. and to really reframe it so it's not about I want you to be nice or to please so and so at the expense of your own feelings. Um, mm-hmm. So it's again changing all of those conversations surrounding the body. You know, that's that's really important is because this is pre-sexual mm-hmm. is what you're really talking about, exactly. right? Like you don't have to touch or be touched if you don't want to be. Exactly. And I so love that you acknowledge that because oftentimes when we think about preparing kids for the talk, which I don't believe in, we tend to forget or we tend to compartmentalize and assume that sex and sexuality is somehow different from everything else. And it's not. We come to sex and sexuality as whole beings. Mm -hmm. And so it's important to remember that, um, that we're always preparing children, uh, you know, as whole beings, we're working with them as whole beings. And so all of these things are interconnected. This approach feels... It just feels good because, as you said, when when I've had in the past had to think about having, quote, the talk, like Mm -hmm. I remember when I got the talk um, (laughs) uh, from my dad, it it just it it was uncomfortable and not because he did anything wrong, but it's like it just was uncomfortable that there was like a talk and it was in a car while we were driving somewhere and it was at an age that it felt really awkward. Um, and I'm certain he probably felt the same way. So in my mind, it's like, oh God, the talk. But this is <laughs> this is so much different than the talk. It's about a holistic way of raising our kids, and this is one part of re- of education among many that we are doing to help them find their way in the world. Absolutely. And I would hope that I'm so happy that the pressure it feels relieving because it doesn't have to be how we've framed it for so long. Um, it really can be something that's, that's, uh, if we remember that sexual value, and we were really talking about values and, and really raising kids, I think with, with values that are connected in the sexual arena, right? So sexual values can be the values that you also have in so many other arenas, right? The values of, of reciprocity, the values of fairness, the values of really listening and, 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 um, being considerate of others and so on. So yes, I'm, I, mm-hmm. I, I hope that we begin approaching it in a much more holistic manner. And then, so where does, where does shame come into this and how do we avoid people feeling shameful about their body and their relationships? I mean, I think it's really important for us to acknowledge as adults how we've been raised as well. And I think your point about, you know, the awkwardness that you might have experienced with your father is very, rings very true um, for many of us. And, and I think it's important to have compassion for ourselves, first of all, as adults trying to work with kids, because I often poll parents or ask them to, to think about, you know, what sort of messages did their parents give them about sex and sexuality or what values do they impart? And oftentimes when I ask parents this question in a room, uh, most of them will start laughing or or they'll just say, oh my gosh, I don't even want to to go there. Mm -hmm. And I know, for instance, when I was a child, my parents did nothing to me about sex and sexuality and they had an arranged marriage as well. So that was also... uh, um, Mm Uh, something for me to contend with. And, and I think when I was 15, my mom said to me, Natasha, I want to tell you about 
I want to talk to you about sex. And I was so excited um, because I've been waiting for this <laughs> conversation. She turned to me and she said, <laughs> you know, I want you to know that when a girl has been chewed, nobody will want her. And that was it. That was, that was my sex education. And that, whether she meant for it to... When, when meant for this or not, or intended for this or not, it resulted in a, an experience of, oh, is sex really shameful and sexual, sexuality mm-hmm. shameful? And I think right. there are many variations of that in our own upbringing. So number one, mm-hmm. it's important to just acknowledge that many of us have been either by parents not having those conversations or saying those little tidbits, we may have internalized some sense that's very deep that it's shameful. Mm-hmm. And so I think starting with some self-compassion is important and also recognizing that um, we actually have to stand for something very different at this current time. Um, We want to move away from that notion um, and we want to actually see sex or at least create sexuality as something that is, is beautiful and celebratory. And I also want to acknowledge that I think I think there are many reasons why people people may see it as shameful, and sometimes that has to do with just how it's been framed for us. I mean, if we see our bodies as pure or impure, I mean, there's so many kinds of ways that we focus on that or frame that in, in negative ways in our culture. Um, and I'm rambling a bit, um, <laughs> but I think that no, you're, 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 there's so much there. There is. And um, you know, something you said, which is totally aligned with uh, parent footprint, you said... Um, that parents need to take a look at where they came from and what their experiences mm-hmm. are. And that's that's the whole po- point of Parent Footprint is if we're not aware of how we were raised and what our beliefs are based on how we were raised in our experiences and we just blindly pass those on, that's right. it's not necessarily um, helpful or healthy for our kids, particularly if there have been some experiences that we would like to change or some ways of parenting that we would like to do differently. So sexuality is a very important one of those topics of, to look at. Yeah. And I would want to acknowledge that that sometimes when parents are our own parents or we have not said anything at all about sex and sexuality, we may inadvertently and unintentionally plant the notion that there's something very shameful about it. Mm-hmm. So our silence can actually communicate and speak volumes to children. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's, I think there's, there's that piece of it as well. So in, in two parent households, you know, often there are couples, share, parents share different uh, relationships and different, uh, doing different things with the kids. Is it important in those households that both parents have the conversations or if one does, is that fine? Well, I'm going to just backtrack a little bit because I was, I was writing an article on, you know, the kinds of conversations parents or parents, parents are having or not having with their kids about sex and sexuality and pornography. So I ended up interviewing a lot of parents and to find out who was having those conversations. And often what I'd heard from many of them was that I, it's, it's up to my partner or either, you know, one of us is good at something. Mm-hmm. And so we handle that and the other partner's just better at this kind of stuff. So they take that on. But I found that in a lot of families, it was actually gendered and that more, it, the expectation was that more moms would have these kinds of conversations um, in a in a parent household where it's a heterosexual couple, and so 
I think that's worrying um, for a number of reasons, because for instance, in my classes, I offer a lot of classes to middle school students and high school students on sex and sexuality and consent and navigating all these issues. And oftentimes, you know, in the first five minutes of my class, I will ask, you know, and none of the kids are thrilled to be there because who wants to go to a class <laughs> on consent and healthy relationships when you're a kid? And so I'll say, well, why are you here? And they'll fold their arms across their chest and they'll say, uh, my mom made me come. And so I'll pause and I'll ask them, well, why is it that just your mom signed you up? And they'll say, well, I don't know. My dad's working, I guess. And I'll say, well, doesn't, don't your mom's work as well? And they'll say, yeah. And I'll say, so what do you think? Hmm. What do you think the, the reason is? And they look genuinely puzzled and confused. And my worry is that I don't, I think we all have to take ownership of these issues. Look at where we are right now as a country and what we're, cha- what we're challenged with, with regard to c- concerns about sexual harassment and consent and relationships. I think all of us need to own this issue. It's in fact more important now than it has been before. Right, we can't afford right. to have it be that this is just an issue that women are concerned about or just a father is concerned about it in a family. I think it's really important to model persistence and mm-hmm. even talking through something in the face of awkwardness. It's important to model that and important to own it as both parents. I think that's absolutely critical. Well said. And thank you for making that a very important point. Let's go to porn. Um, sure. I know from just my office and um, work with adolescent clients that learning that pornography has um, evolved quite a bit in the last several decades, and it ha- can really distort and distress youth who end up watching them and mm-hmm. it seemingly get hooked in, which I've learned it's designed to do. Uh, so empower us with how do we how do we deal with this given that we've started the conversation and scaffolded right we've worked our way up how how do we talk about porn and what do we do about it well i think it's important to be really clear as parents about what your preferences and your policies are in your home what's challenging about this conversation to sometimes have you know to have it within families is that sometimes parents themselves have different viewing habits and aren't necessarily speaking to one another about porn consumption. And what I learned from my interviews with parents uh, is that sometimes parents would say, I'm afraid of bringing this up with my partner because I don't want my porn taken away from me. Or Mm -hmm. I feel hypocritical because I'm watching it and I don't know, you know, what to say to my child. And in those moments, I've had to step back and say, look, it's really key for parents to recognize that what their own relationship with this pornography is quite different than what their child's is and to parse those things out um, and to really have a shared kind of approach because, you know, it's, it's worthwhile for parents to say, look, we do or don't want our children watching pornography in our homes. And I've had some parents say to me, look, I'm desperate for my child to have something to look at because I know they're beginning to masturbate and I know they're looking at images and I know we're going to have to have this conversation. Um, Mm -hmm. And other parents will say, I do not want my child looking at this. And I think first, it's just important to be clear and 
oftentimes what I'm seeing is that when parents aren't saying anything at all, kids are literally and figuratively being left to their own devices. So to start, if you are not comfortable with your child watching pornography, and it's important to remember that porn was not made for children, um, to say to your child, we do not watch pornography in this home in the same way that you'd say, you will not be drinking in my home, or you will not be doing drugs in my home. So to have conversations about technology, um, I think it's Mm -hmm. very important to let kids know that they may encounter material online that is sexually explicit and let them know what your preferences are with regard to how they deal with that moment. Again, in the absence of those conversations, kids can and more likely will be unintentionally exposed to pornography. And most of the kids that I ask, their first response is, when I ask them, will you tell your parents? They'll usually say, no, absolutely not. I'm afraid Mm -hmm. of getting into trouble. So I think it's Mm -hmm. very important for parents to be preemptive and proactive and to say, the moment you give your child a device to say, look, you may encounter this. It's not appropriate for you to be watching it because you're going to get ideas and messages that may affect your ideas about love and about relationships. And we don't want you to have, have that kind of messaging. So I think starting there is really important. Um, and also letting kids know that it's, it's key that you will not be mad at them, um, but that you really want them to develop a healthy sexuality. And again, I think, I think using analogies can be very helpful with kids. I talk to them about nutrition as an analogy, and I'll say in the same way that your parents educate you about what you should be putting into your body or shouldn't be, Remember that whatever you watch uh, is an act of consumption. So you're mm-hmm. feeding your brain with certain ideas, uh, right? Good. And certain images mm-hmm. and stories about what it's like with people when they get older and when they have relationships or when they become sexually mm-hmm. intimate. And I think to help them become more conscientious um, decision makers it will be really part of the work that's required. Well, in your approach, what I really like about what you're saying to all of us is that it, these are discussions. This isn't, mm-hmm. you're in trouble, give me your device. I mean, I know there's, at times, it can get to that, but a lot of parents, you know, start with, this is okay, this is not okay, you're in trouble. Again, with good intention, and probably because yeah. they were raised the same way. You're describing an approach which is based on education, based on relationship based on what it front loading, you know, conversations. Um, so there's an open dialogue as opposed to what's right, what's wrong. Um, here's a consequence. Yes, absolutely. Because what mm-hmm. we don't want is for kids to be again, left with some variation of shame mm-hmm. or some variation of I'm going to get into trouble because I think that the more holistic we can, if we really make modeling a holistic sort of way of holding these kinds of conversations and having them, I think, well, my hope is it will have less compartmentalization because Mm -hmm. what I don't want to see is if a child is afraid or already feels that, you know, he's, he or she's going to get into trouble, you know, you can sort of imagine that if that child is, you know, in a room with a device and alone and is watching pornography, but you have a cocktail of emotions, including, fear. I'm going to get into trouble. I have to keep this a secret. Uh, I can't stop myself. Um, Oh, but this feels really good. When you repeat that 
or consume that sort of cocktail of chemicals and emotional narratives again and again and again, you end up producing, I would imagine, much more compartmentalized people, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and right. we don't want that. We actually want people to recognize that, yes, they may encounter pornography and they can make many decisions around it. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's also important to let kids know that their genitals might respond. But it doesn't mm-hmm. mean that their mind is saying, yes, I think this is the kind of behavior I want to emulate. Um, That's you know, a really good point. That's a, yeah. a biological response doesn't mean it's a mental psychological one. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh, it's time. We have we have to wind down to the parent footprint moment question, even though I have so many more questions to talk to you about this topic. And um you've really have laid such a nice foundation for parents to to begin these conversations and we know that it's never too late. Okay, here it is. Parent footprint moment question. Natasha, tell us about a time when you became aware of yourself as an individual or a parent and that new awareness had a positive impact on your child. Okay. Well, I would I would say that I I um this is a mo- the moment I'm going to describe is actually with my nephew. Uh, okay. Because I don't have children, and um, my nephew was visiting my my husband and myself over the summer, and my husband and I have a policy in our home, and we and it's a it's a thing that we do, and it's called Mew Time, M, uh, it's sort of me and you time. But the trick in our home is that we, if we really, and and basically what we do is we use this whenever each of us might get lost in our device. So if he's at his computer and I'm at mine working, one of us will say, mew, and we'll say it like it's cute, like a kitten would meow. And <laughs> the whole message is that, you know, no device is more important than one-on-one time. And so if somebody's longing for a connection, we just kind of sort of say, mew. And you can hear it in our home from wherever it is. And, mm-hmm. and we have to get off our devices and, um, and just spend time with one another. And so, and it's sort of, and if you were to watch us doing this, you might think it's strange because my husband's like six foot four. He's a big guy. And, and from, from our home, you'll hear this tiny little mew. And so, <laughs> so, so my nephew was visiting <laughs> and he's, you know, we're all hanging out in our home and he hears, he hears my husband saying, mew, you know, from, and he says, what on earth is going on here? And I said, <laughs> I said, that's, you know, in our home, it just, it just means me and you time. And we just want each other to know that a, a screen is never more important than another human being. Um, and I didn't think anything more of it. And mm-hmm. a few days later, we go out for dinner and we're waiting for our food to arrive. And we're, my husband and I are on our cell phones and, and we hear this little mew, mew. <laughs> and we look over, it's my nephew. And it's this Aunt Natasha. <laughs> it's me and you time. <laughs> And so, oh, that is sweet. Yeah, and we put our cell phones in the center of the table. And I think the takeaway from that for me was just a reminder. And I, I think I think all parents can appreciate this is that we we really do want to model that human connection is so much more important than screens, especially in this time when and almost everybody is struggling with 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 that. So that was just a great moment for us. That is a great moment, and just how easily that was picked up. You know, you know, back to even our talk today about talking to our kids. 
This is such a perfect example of we don't have to be always completely intentional and direct because mm-hmm. most of the time, our kids, our family, are they're they're emulating watching what we are doing, right? It's and again, this is like all about. What we talk about a parent footprint is be the person you want your child to become because they're watching all the time. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. That's a great story. That's a great story. (laughs) Tell everyone where they can. I know you do a lot of writing. You do a lot of speaking. How can people follow you? Well, people can go to my website, which is uh, www.sexlited.com. So that's S-E-X. L-I-T-E-D dot com. Uh, And they can definitely reach out to me if they'd like for me to come and speak. And I do lots of living room conversations, um, talks at schools. Sometimes I work with groups of, you know, a small group of parents, a small group of kids. Um, I'm very happy to work with anybody, really, because I'm such a champion of these, these issues and these conversations and creating partnerships with parents and kids on these issues. You clearly are a champion of all of these issues and uh, issue, which is uh, there's no more important issue these days. So thank you for talking to us today about sex, porn, and healthy relationships and how do we talk about these things with our kids. Hope we could do this again. Oh, thank you so much for having me. All right, everyone. That's the end of our show. Thanks for listening today. Check us out at www.parentfootprint.com. You know you can find our Parent Footprint Awareness training designed to help you be the parent you want to be, aware, purposeful, acting with intention, raising the kids you want to raise for the future. Again, stated, be the parent, the person you want your child to become. And as always, think about this guiding question, what footprint do you want to leave?